Hi, and welcome to Filmmaker's Compass Podcast, a show where we talk about movies and, well, more movies. So I'm D-Man, joined by CP. And uh, CP, I really like, for all of our listeners, not viewers, I really like your shirt, which is uh, Ghostbusters. Well, I mean, it's almost that time of the year, right? We're almost almost Ghostbusters season. I mean, I'm wearing like a plain black tee, so I need to like step up my game and get some (laughs) printed shirts with like old 80s movies on them. Let's face it, on these podcasts, on our show, the graphic tees really rock. You're rocking the shit out of it. (laughs) Well done. I want to go ahead and jump into shout outs at the top of the show. First up is uh, Eric Drucker at Eric Drucker one said still love the animated movies. Also, live action Lion King was terrible. Did not live up to the hype, the original. And we talked a little bit about how animated talk or just talking lions works better in animation than it does in live action. It's just kind of tough to pull off. I think think Drucker is a very smart man. (laughs) I'm sure he appreciates that. So thank you, Drucker, for commenting. Next up is uh, Ryan Weinzettel at Ryan.Weinzettel.1987. He said Disney Plus needs to look and rethink its marketing strategy. They've dropped the ball as bad as Notre Dame has two weekends in a row. So that, that was rough. I'm actually wearing a Notre Dame hat. And if you don't know this about me and CP, or I guess CP and I, if Hellison was listening, he'd correct me for my bad grammar. CP and I are huge Notre Dame fans and Notre Dame football in particular. They have not looked good this season. So Weinzettel dropping an ND reference in his comment stings a little bit more than just agreeing with me or disagreeing with me. He also goes on to say, it'd be cool if like they had a sign up for a year subscription within X timeframe for new subscribers and, and everybody getting access to a couple of uh, special things on Disney Plus Day. So, Weinzettel, we appreciate you tuning in and commenting. Let's not try to uh, decimate our hearts with ND references. Unless maybe ND will be amazing, at which point definitely reference them again. But that seems a long way off. <laughs> Next up, I gotta give a, a shout out to uh, at Sean, well, uh, I guess Sean Gasson, but at Sean underscore cake. He said he still has not watched Justice League, either version. What? So, he said, not sure if I want to invest the time, and if I did do i watch the bad cut first so first of all i gotta address this which is that now i feel like what we should do is eventually make it over to sean over in north carolina have an actual justice league marathon we'll get like some really great sandwiches and food and just have a great time and then we'll live podcast right after it get the discussion going that would be pretty cool now can i promise that i don't even know how much a flight to north carolina is but sean if you're listening i would love to come hang out and watch justice league drink some beers and podcast sounds like the old days That would be fantastic. Now, CP, I did want to ask you, this comes directly from Sean. Do I watch the bad cut first? What's your opinion on that? Oh, absolutely. So you can suffer like the rest of us did, and then you can experience the Snyder cut in all of its glorious correctiveness. (laughs) Yeah, four hour length. We're going to do a podcast episode about that. If it involves Sean, so be it. If it doesn't, I know you and I personally have a lot to say about Justice League and the (laughs) Snyder cut and all of that. But we'll get to that one day. So next up is at perspective he said i was confused too a couple of trailers and a normal amount of releases referring to disney plus day so got into a conversation with i think cp on instagram appreciate you listening dropping the comment couldn't agree more it was confusing and i'm not sure exactly what disney plus day is we have one more shout out and that goes to at jess.matney he said lord i cringed the whole way through referring to pinocchio i don't know what was worse tom hanks a clearly non-italian with a horrible accent or the animation of pinocchio's face 
we did a little bit of a deeper dive last week on that. The general consensus is in favor of one of those. So while we're doing our shout outs, I also wanted to address that on Twitter, we ran a poll and we asked which Pinocchio was better, 1940 or 2022, referring only to the Disney ones. I know there's lots of variations of Pinocchio out there, but we're looking at Disney only. 82% of people said 1940 and actually 18% of people said 2022. So there are a few people who actually preferred the newer version. Or a lot of drunk people tweeting. (laughs) Could have been late night tweeting. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I mean, overwhelmingly, even people that I've talked to that I know have seen it that have kids and and things like that. The consensus is that the 1940s animated version is the superior version and that a lot of people didn't love the new one had quite a few complaints and some faults so a lot of people were curious as to again it's the live it's the disney live action remake thing a lot of people were like i'm not even sure why remaking movies like shot for shot now cp before we move on i want to throw it over to you do you have any shout outs I got two. First to at Danglin Doug. Doug, thank you for drawing attention to the Pauly Shore Pinocchio movie that I don't think D-Man or I had ever heard of. Oh, I want to watch it. Yeah. It seems slightly horrifying. So I'm actually looking forward to it. It's that time of the year. Halloween. Watch a creepy Pinocchio movie. I'm all for it. The other person I wanted to give a shout out to was Jazzy. She pointed out the fact that her link to save the whales was deleted. Apparently that Mm. is in reference. She's a fan of the original Monstro not the mm. creepy sea monster version. Monstro. I am too. Like we said last week, it felt like a change for change's sake. I'm not even sure what that brings to the table. I mean, was it supposed to be a little bit scarier visually? I mean, was that the thinking? I don't know. That's the problem is if you're going to change it, I mean, if it's going to be more terrifying, it should definitely like terrify you. I feel like so- <laughs> he just didn't know himself. That was a little bit of a bummer. Now, before we jump into our topics, I actually do have one final shout out and this leads right into our topic. So from at Prairie Lane Entertainment, which is our friend Connor Geary, he actually said, what are your thoughts? Do you recommend it? He is referring to Rings of Power. That's what we're going to jump in on. We have officially reached halfway point of season one of Rings of Power. And this is where we re-picked up with the podcast a few weeks ago, right before the series launched. So now we're at the halfway point, and I think we'll probably address it again once the first season is over. Our friend, as I mentioned in the shout out, Sean Gaston, huge fan of Lord of the Rings. And we got to get his opinion on Rings of Power at some point, and we'll, we'll make sure to get him on the show. Looking forward to that. CP, you and I have opinions about this as well. What are your thoughts so far? Is that a direct question for me? I have yeah. To just like, uh, I have to be the one that now everyone's going to troll because I'm either right or wrong or really wrong. Thank you. Just be that. right. You know, don't, <laughs> don't be great. wrong. My thoughts on Rings of Power. My thoughts on Rings of Power. It was a little slow to start. It felt like it took a couple episodes to really get into. I feel like by the end of episode four, it's starting to get its footing and really know we can start seeing the plot lines unraveling and, and, and we are now invested in the characters. I actually do agree. I thought episode one was a little bit slow. Amazon and just in general, the producers were trading on the fact that this had Lord of the Rings name recognition and they knew that people would stick with it because it's Lord of the Rings. So they're going to give it that amount of time. The episode one was like almost an hour long. And it's interesting because from my perspective as somebody who enjoys a lot of these shows, like perfect example of how you do an episode one is something closer to like Stranger Things season one, which is the disappearance 
disappearance of Will Byers. Great example. off right out the gate. I mean, Will Byers disappears and we know what the narrative momentum is for the show. They're going to spend the remainder of the time trying to save Will. All the different threads and how that all comes together will happen and we'll, we'll see that unfold. We don't know. The narrative motion is there right from the beginning. And with Rings of Power, it actually ends the first episode with the arrival of Meteor Man, which is what everybody's calling him online. I don't know if he's actually been referred to that in canon. And really, I mean, if you were narratively going to put that show into high gear right out of the gate, you'd probably launch with that right out of the gate. You'd have a few storylines in motion and then the meteor would arrive almost right at the top of the episode. And instead they draw that out. Honestly, we haven't actually got too much further in that story over four episodes. Clearly, there's something with that character that is going to be a huge reveal, I'm guessing, by episode eight. I feel the same way. Thinking about the fact that essentially we're four hours into it and we really don't know what the story is is actually shocking when you think about the fact that Extended Edition Fellowship, <laughs> by the time we got four hours in, we had already been on our quest to Mordor. We had already met the Fellowship. We had the yeah. entire background of Middle Earth introduced to us. We knew who all all the major players in the story were, for the most part, I know there's other ones introduced later on in the trilogy. So when you compare the series to it, it really does feel like we're still looking for stuff in the, in the series. Like I was talking about Stranger Things, that's a great point, is that Lord of the Rings is actually a great example of kind of how to do that right. If you've read the book, but particularly the movie, the movie opens with the montage that gives the history behind everything. But generally speaking, it opens at a birthday party. Before you know it, Sauron's one ring is discovered. We know that Frodo needs to, at least at that point, take it to Rivendell, but the ring needs to be destroyed is what we know. Narratively, we know Frodo is going as far as Rivendell at that point, but we know that the ring does need to be destroyed. You know right away, like, I mean, that's a really kind of simple plot device. Think about it, right? Like, destroy the ring. Okay, there's a lot of stuff unfolding all around, but the narrative pull for the entire trilogy is get this little piece of crap to Mount Doom, throw it in the fire. Sometimes, you know, a series like Rings of Power, it honestly, there's certain things that are shrouded in mystery that I think are working well for the show, but it would be great if there was some really strong narrative thread definitely taking us on the journey throughout. And it doesn't feel like there is one yet. We're going to talk a little bit about the show before we kind of get into some other topics surrounding people's opinions of it. I do want to preface that if you haven't watched it, technically these are some spoilers, although we don't actually have the answers to the mysteries ourselves. So most of this is just <laughs> introducing. Yeah, kind of us just talking here. But oh, it's interesting because I feel like certain things do work. Like I really like the relationship between Elrond and Durin as these kind of longtime friends. I like Durin as a character. I find him to be... I like he wears his emotions on his sleeve and he's kind of a fun character to be around. The largest narrative thread that we have so far is that Sauron is coming back to power, but more than that, Galadriel has discovered he is basically terraforming the Southlands into Mordor. The orcs are there. They're traveling in tunnels underneath the ground. They've already taken out some towns and they're ripping trees out, very reminiscent of, you know, Saruman making 
the Urukai in Fellowship of the Ring. You you saw that happen with Isengard, where like all around they just decimated the trees and made it this barren lace wasteland. Apparently, that's exactly what's happening in the Southlands, except this is all done facilitating Sauron's return to power. The show is called Rings of Power, so we know at some point he's going to forge the rings. And we also know if you've read any of the history surrounding Lord of the Rings, Sauron is somewhere in the story. I guess I'm guessing he's here narratively somewhere in the skies. We just don't know. We don't know to what extent the show will take creative license. I know there is a specific name, I think Anadar or Anadar or something that Sauron goes by in Lord of the Rings history. They may change that to keep the audience guessing as opposed to just making what's there really it as a major narrative thread i mean isn't a lot more than that going on you have meteor man with the harfoots which are the hobbits or pre-hobbits and we don't know what's going on there and then you have what's going on in the southlands and galadriel trying to get there that's about it so far it's just kind of preface to sauron's return to power i do find it though to be visually stunning and I like the world build. They've introduced some unique places in Tolkien lore, Numenor, that we did not see in Lord of the Rings, I think is referenced. And then obviously the Southlands, which is Mordor before Mordor. So there's some cool stuff. I've enjoyed watching it. I think that we've finally been introduced to some of these major characters that we've been alluded to through the history of Middle-earth, like Isildur. And that's exciting for fans. But it still feels like it took, for me, it feels like it took us a really long time to get to this point. And it's not, I would say, pace-wise, it's not moving fast enough. Like you said, we're already four hours in. And I know Lord of the Rings extended trilogy is, well, I mean, what, like eight hours? Something, maybe more. It's uh, almost the equivalent of like one season of this show but that encapsulates the entire story. This is season one of five. It's like, guys, push this along because there's there's certain elements I just don't think work that well, particularly right now, the character of Adar, who is the uh, evil elf who turned bad and clearly is like working for or with Sauron. Like the father of orcs or something. I, I think in Elvish, Adar means father. But I don't think the character works yet. His motivations were, in my opinion, pretty stock. He's like, oh, you know, I've been wronged and I want power and revenge. And I was like, I mean, I guess. I also feel like his revelation should have been introduced earlier earlier in the series so we kind of have a face of who the who the villain is because he's the only villain we have i'm assuming he's kind of going to be a like a season one villain shows that do villains right like a great example is like avatar the last airbender i think the villain in season one is like a general in the fire nation in season two it's zuko's sister and then in season three it's the fire lord and sozin's comet and like each season progressively gets more and more intense for the villains and more personal I feel like he definitely is a villain that can die. Uh, He does not need to make it all the way to the end. He's probably going to get killed, but I need a little bit more or maybe a backstory or something because he just seems stock to me at this point. He even looks evil. He kind of talks sinister, which is good, I guess. I mean, wanting power is essentially like, what was the X-Men villain? Magneto? No. Apocalypse? uh, Apocalypse. Like, he just shows up in in X-Men Apocalypse, the movie, and he's like, oh, it's my right to rule the world. And you're like, all right, I guess. Kind of boring (laughs) motivation, you know? You're like, we're gonna try to stop you (laughs) and that's the story i mean there's no there's no no more to it you don't have to like change people's minds he's like no if you're not with me i'll just murder you you're like all right i guess we gotta do this and that was d-man's review of x-men apocalypse 
Don't yeah, watch the movie. Uh, yeah, we, if we do that, I have strong opinions about that movie. And it does actually revolve a lot around Apocalypse. I found him to be incredibly one-dimensional, whereas someone like Magneto, I think, is just fantastic. I'm looking for a little bit more of Magneto here. <laughs> that's what's happening is like you know we, we don't have a central villain i mean sauron's out there somewhere in the distance you know he's if we're using the avatar analogy he's playing the role of the fire lord he's out there and i assume at some point they're gonna have to fight him which is great i'm looking forward to that but that's not coming for a while you need to have some clear threats that are that are true threats to whatever the mission is at hand and that's the other problem is right now we don't fully understand like is there a mission they got to speed it up man the pace just needs to pick up a little bit more i love the world building i think it's beautiful to look at i know i typically come across this way but i'm not a huge fan yet of the score i think when you compare it to something like lord of the rings which has instantly recognizable themes howard shore concerning hobbits the fellowship theme the overall eerie theme that is i think associated with the one ring just amazing i mean that is a 10 out of 10 top tier uh, film score lord of the rings was amazing and here, I, I'm not finding anything really recognizable, anything that I taking a shower later and humming. That's what I'm looking for. I think they got to do, they got to find a way to bring that in because I think it's so important. You know, what is Star Wars without the score? I'm not saying that I still wouldn't love Star Wars, but I mean, the, the, the score elevates it so far. Also, there's our Star Wars reference. Another reason not to like Adar is like he releases one of the elves to go back to the tower and tell them that basically he's going to destroy them. And I was like, you really got to release him to get that message to them. To me, that that type of writing, I'm not a huge fan of like, I know they don't want him in captivity, but he should have to like get out on his own, like figure a way out. Just releasing him just seems stupid. No, I agree. Like, why would you do that? Releasing your prisoners, you idiot. <laughs> You're telling me like you guys can't get that message across any other way. If anything, the orcs could just like march up to the tower at night with him, have him convey the message and then murder him. I mean, or at least I guess, try to. I guess you should be on the writing team because that's a good point. I just don't like when people like it's like they he's a prisoner and then they just release him. I was like, so what was the point of all this? Why did he even get captured? We yeah. can't infer that these evil orcs are going to try to take over the tower. I'm guessing they will. Yeah. No, they're just going to stay. They've been burning towns, but my guess is they'll just stay where they are. No, of course they're coming for you. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Stuff like that sometimes. Like, like to me, when you talk about pace, that's why sometimes it feels like I'm like, move it along because you spent like almost three fourths of an episode with him captured only to release them like what a waste of time no that's a good point and i think that that's the difference we have characters that are still spread out we're still slowly introducing characters but the main plot of the series has not yet introduced itself and so that's why it feels like we're just sort of waiting around to be like what's the arc here of season one what's going yeah. on <laughs> you need it almost right out of the gate especially when you're getting people to buy in on a new show sometimes if you've earned enough goodwill a la i'm gonna go with a game of thrones reference here never watched game of thrones so if you all want to hate on me you can. I'm bringing it up because obviously I've heard about the drop in supposed quality in the later seasons, but everybody stuck with it because of the goodwill Game of Thrones had built up over like the first four or five seasons. Everybody was like, nah, like I'm not going to bail on it. Well, when you're just starting out, when you're at season one or even episode one, it's like, yes, you are trading on the Lord of the Rings brand and the Lord of the Rings name, but get to the point so that story-wise, this whole thing is just in motion. I did want to ask, who's your favorite character from Rings of Power? Gladriel. She is the main character. She seems like she's the one that's going to tie everything together eventually. And then the, the elf 
who was captured by the orcs. I never remember his name, but he's a badass. He's the one with the bow and arrow, and he kicks some ass while he's imprisoned. But then they just when he gets him. out of prison, yeah, yeah. I think mine's Durin. He's uh, actually one of the more limited characters so far in the first four episodes. I think he's only appeared in two, maybe three of them briefly. Mm-hmm. I think he's fun to be around. Those are the characters, you know. You got to have those characters that it's like, you know, I'd rather just hang out in these mines with this guy than keep jumping back and forth. I'm like, he's just more fun. You know, For you sure. need a what is it, like Tony Stark? He's just fun to be around. You could follow all these different stories, but I guarantee you, if you're like, oh, Tony, we have an opportunity to follow him. Yeah, I'm going with Tony. I like that stuff. We got to take a look at there is a lot of criticism online, particularly on YouTube. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For Rings of Power. A lot. Now, granted, some of this, you know, has to do with wokeness and social issues and things like that. I don't think we're going to dive into that here. But I do want to look at Rings of Power being the main example. But what's with these fandoms? They're getting very upset with some, I guess, iconic story brands, Star Wars, DC, Lord of the Rings, and even now in phase four. Marvel, who up until phase four was basically Teflon. Everything they put out was gold and yet kind of lost it. Well, the fans have also kind of turned on Marvel. I'd say it's even in chic online to crap on Marvel. Almost to the point that now people are calling that out. They're like, oh, you think you're intelligent because you're crapping on Marvel. What's your initial take on these fandoms? Is it a rejection of studios to follow the source material? Is it the writing? Is it just, you know, hey, new Star Wars just isn't as good. Oh, like Rings of Power. I'm no offense, but like it's not as good as Lord of the Rings. So our fans just they're vocal. That's what's that's what's coming up is their expectation is like, hey, it's 2022, but like we should be better. What do you think is going on? Obviously, as you said, there's there's a lot to unpack with that. And my minuscule opinion comes down. Fans are very passionate about their fandoms. They've invested time, they've invested energy, they've invested their lives into these pieces of pop culture that they care about. I think it comes down to a couple things. One, first and foremost, when studios when brands put out content that fans feel is inferior, yet it's put out solely for the sake of money. I think fans oh, get really insulted by Okay, that. yeah. You know, okay. I think part of the problem is fans look at these things and they're like, did you need to put it out? I don't know. But more importantly, when you did put it out, it doesn't seem like you truly invested the time and the money and the energy into learning the fandom and creating something that is congruent with the ecosystem of that fandom, with the rules of that fictional world, with the behaviors of the characters. And I think that that's why fans get so pissed off with these things because we feel like studios just throw money at stuff and they're like, yeah, make another crappy Star Wars movie. Star Wars fans will go see it. And for Star Wars fans, it's really insulting. And I'm going to use the Star Wars example because I think one of the best examples in recent time was in The Last Jedi, when all of a sudden this little Space Leia scene happens that I know you love and every other Star Wars fan out there. Where favorite. Space Leia starts floating around in space and comes back. And suddenly it's the result of this new Jedi power that has never revealed itself in the prequel films and the original series and the comic books, the video games, the books, the novels. We've never seen this power before and it just appears. And when people call the director out on it, his response is, she's a badass. 
Well, as someone who is immersed in Star Wars fan culture, I would think that's not a very good answer. I don't buy that. And I yeah. think a lot of times we see those things happening time and time again, where studios are bringing creators in who may know the property, but whatever changes they make, whether it's to modernize a property, whether it's to expand it beyond what's known, for whatever reason, fans need the reason as to why. And when creators can't give them that why, fans feel offended. I mean, same movie, Last Jedi. It's kind of the same thing. Like you, you get introduced to Luke Skywalker. He's throwing lightsaber away very pessimistic but they never gave the why right they kind of hint at there's this reason that like he thinks his nephew is going to turn bad but you're also like i mean the last time we saw luke he's redeeming darth vader he's believing in people and it's kind of like i mean really where did that go this doesn't seem like enough of an explanation to get from point a to point b yeah i have to agree i think when you look at these fandoms there's a lot of times there's changes and people are kind of like apprehensive to the change perfect example is like the 20 16 female-led Ghostbusters film, right? There's this apprehension. (laughs) Yeah, there's apprehension to like, oh, they're just going woke and having women Ghostbusters, right? But really, I think that apprehension would have gone away if that movie was amazing. I don't think people, honestly, a majority of people care so much about that. If the movie was great, I think at the end of the day, people would be like, well, I didn't think it would work, but damn it, it was awesome. And I loved it. Then you'd have this whole new series. But the thing is, like you said, when it comes comes to making movies for money, the impression was that the studio was like, oh, let's just get some female comedians and wrap Ghostbusters around. Uh, Obviously, the movie does emulate the original Ghostbusters story-wise, and even the other sequel does too, but the other sequel was much, much more well-received. Not by critics, but by fans, by the fandom. Fans appreciated the nods and the appreciation to Ghostbuster lore, even if sometimes you know, it was a little bit of a nostalgia bait, which I guess is fine to get everybody back in the right mindset but fans appreciated they were like oh you know this feels like these people care about the legacy of this movie franchise you're absolutely right and and i don't want to dive too much into ghostbusters we have a podcast episode from 20 episodes back where we actually compare the episodes of ghostbusters yeah but i think you bring it up and i think the other thing is it's not just explaining why these changes are made but sometimes in the outright presenting the changes it feels more like studios are going for the lowest common denominator which is we're trying to be different. As we mentioned with the Ghostbusters thing, if it had been presented as, hey, new Ghostbusters, I think audiences would have accepted it differently than it being presented as female Ghostbusters, which I think people got offended because they felt that the only reason why it was being done was not to tell a new Ghostbusters story, but to tell a woman-led Ghostbusters story. And I think that for fans, as long as the studios can say, this is why we're doing it, this is why this happened, this is why we're taking this thing you love in this direction, which none of them have been able to successfully do. I think part of the reason why fans get so upset about these things is studios release something, fans naturally get upset. Fans don't like change. People don't like change. It's a natural thing. Studios release something and fans go, oh, that's overwhelming. It's new. It's different. I don't like it. They get upset. Then studios turn around and say, oh, this is toxic fandom. This is racism, which in a lot of cases, I don't think has anything to do with. I think it has to do with the fact that you release something that fans don't like. There's times where they've done it right. Two of the things that I will point to is 
Star Wars examples, right? The Star Wars Clone Wars television series, which mm-hmm. fans love because it was made by creators in conjunction who understood the culture and, and the fandom of Star Wars and created something that a lot of fans point to as an awesome example. And another thing was the Timothy Zahn novels from the 90s, which again, yeah. fans overwhelmingly embrace for taking Star Wars in a new direction, which was respectful to the original trilogy. Yeah, I agree. I actually really like those Timothy's on novels. You probably have a couple of them in that bookshelf behind you, I oh, guess. Of course I do. <laughs> the whole trilogy, yeah. man. Those those are really cool. I mean, the introduction of Thrawn and like all that, it was, it was pretty yeah, sweet. Yeah. It's just one of those things where I think studios use those excuses as kind of the Teflon for sometimes making maybe not the highest quality stuff as opposed to owning the fact that, you know, hey, maybe Rings of Power doesn't live up to Lord of the Rings. You know, you can just blame, oh, people don't like it because like you said, they're sexist or racist or this and that and that any sort of critical conjecture around just gets lumped all together as there's this overwhelming rejection. Now, I will say I have watched some of the fan videos on YouTube regarding Rings of Power specifically and I do think people are being overcritical to a certain degree. People literally will like watch the episode in the video they're presenting and like point out every little thing and I'm like I guess I can't imagine there's anything that you couldn't sit there and like find stuff even Star Wars like things where you're like oh that's stupid like why would they do well, that and, and I think part of the problem that something like Lord of the Rings runs into uh, this reminds me of when I went to the Comic-Con panel it is a fandom with such an educated group of fans and such a long history and I mean right there's college courses about Tolkien people really understand that's amazing people really understand this stuff. And I remember after they showed the initial trailer and then they gave people the opportunity to ask questions of the showrunners and the executive producer, good Lord of the Rings nerd went up there and he said, can you guys please explain the controversy with the armor? They all looked around like, we don't really know what controversy we're talking about. And I'm going to misquote him. He said, well, Gladriel in the shots you showed is wearing so-and-so's armor and she never would have done that. Why isn't she wearing this house's armor. The showrunners looked around kind of puzzled and they're like, well, maybe we'll find out. You know, like they gave some very sort of half-assed answer about, you know, you just got a quick little glimpse of it, but maybe there's more that hasn't been revealed. And the point is witnessing that I'm like, obviously this guy knows his Lord of the Rings and he knows it better than pretty much everyone else up on that stage at that time that he was talking about it. That's the type of fan who's going to be upset when they can't give a definitive answer. And if they could have, then he probably would have walked out of it with a much higher opinion of the series. And that's really where we're at. Four episodes in is I think a lot of people haven't necessarily been satisfied. And I the thing that sucks for me is I know people that work in film, right? I'm in LA. I know people who worked on Rings of Power. I know people who worked on as extras on Star Wars, on different things. Like I know people in, in the industry, not that everybody is a Tolkien expert. They're not. Uh, the high level people in the writing room need to be the experts in this case. But the people I know, they care. They are a little bit hurt when there's a rejection of what they worked so hard on. And so I don't think that necessarily the people working on these projects are just like, hey, this is just a job. I think people do take a lot of respect that they're getting a chance to work on something Lord of the Rings, some yeah. a Tolkien story. 
I think people do care. I think like you said, I think what happens sometimes is at the very highest level, there's this concept of like, just throw money at it. Money will solve it. Yeah. But when you're telling good stories, you know, you can't, you can buy a writer, but you can't buy a good story. Somebody's got to make that. You got to put in the time. But I mean, you know, from my perspective, I know the people that did work so hard on these different productions, you know, they were a little bummed that because they're excited for everybody to see it too. Their impression is that everybody worked really hard. It's a bummer when I watch these videos on YouTube and people are just like disparaging everything from the acting choices to the acting to this or that. Even though everybody has a right to be critical of whatever aspects of art they want. I just think sometimes we're seeing people, I don't know, I don't want to say they're being mean for views, but I feel like they're going a little overboard. It's not that bad. And you bring up the point. I mean, really, you know, maybe in 30 years, we'll learn a lesson and we'll just do away with the social media thing. And we'll all just feel better about everything in general. Our view on the world will change. Our view on our fans will change. Everything will change. But until that point happens, we have to deal with fandoms. And I think part of the problem with studios is you can't just dismiss it and you can't just write it off as this section of racist, toxic people that are trying to attack your property. And I think a better example is kind of what Ivan Reitman and Jason Reitman did with Ghostbusters, where they said, okay, people are really upset about the way we did Ghostbusters. Jason Reitman steps up and says, hey, I'm going to make a Ghostbusters movie. I know Ghostbusters. Obviously, I was on the set as a kid. My father brought this to life. How do we tell a new Ghostbusters story that is more in line with the spirit of Ghostbusters that people want to see. I think Sony approached it the right way when they made a Ghostbuster film. Oh yeah, which happened to have female Ghostbusters in it too. Yeah. And everybody overwhelmingly liked it. And it was because it was done with a creator that understood the con, you know, the content he was creating. He could explain to his fans why he wanted to be a part of the project and what his goals with it were. And I think he got a lot of leeway. I mean, it's not a perfect movie by any means. Overwhelmingly, fans have been supportive of it. And I think that what Marvel, what DC, what Amazon needs to do is say, all right, these are the concerns of the fans. How do we do a better job of justifying the things that we have done and make making the fans feel heard at the same time. And I think that when studios start learning how to do that, this whole toxic fandom will decrease. Yes, people will never be totally happy with everything you've done, right? Yeah. I mean, we had someone on this comment a couple of weeks ago that they didn't like Peter Jackson's take on the Hobbit movies. And Peter Jackson has pretty much as much a pass from Lord of the Rings fans as I think anyone will ever get. So people are never going to be totally happy. But I think part of the problem is that it seems like the studio approach has been just dismiss it. That just makes fans even more upset. So, you, you know, as far as fandoms go, you can have some influence. So perfect examples are the Snyder Cut, which we did get. Yeah. And that was due to fandom demanding something. And then the other big one of recent years was the chain, the entire change of Sonic's design yes. in the Sonic the Hedgehog movies where fans were very upset with the initial design and they expressed this and the studio was like alright we hear you they went back and redid it and the Sonic movies actually made a lot of money not to say that they're perfect films or anything at least people were on board with the concept yeah. of Sonic and the way they were treating the source material yeah. versus they're trying to change it and everybody was like well, you know what we just don't like it. like we don't like it and the studio actually listened and was like alright this could be a real problem like people are going to just reject this movie based on the design. So like maybe it's time we just reevaluate and say, Hey, we got to eat the cost, redo this thing. Yeah. 
people were much more on board with the new classic design of Sonic, but also I think they felt very heard. And I think sometimes, like you said, when studios just reject criticism as toxic fandom, fans don't feel heard. They have valid, valid concerns and they love these properties. What happens is because everything gets lumped together as toxic, it feels dismissive. It feels mm-hmm. like the studios don't care at all to improve the quality, right? They're just yeah. dismissing. So I think that fuels it. That keeps it going where people get upset and then they get more critical because, you know, we've seen this in, you know, many different fandoms at this point where, yeah. you know, I think the number one, you know, originally everybody was like, oh man, tox- or uh, Star Wars fans are so toxic. And then now <laughs> it's like, no, it's like all fans. <laughs> Fandoms themselves, you know, have, they're very critical of what you put out. Like you mentioned, of course, there's actually going to be some sexist and people in there that you're like, yeah, uh, we got to dismiss some of these people. Like, I mean, if you're just going to go that route, go find something else to watch. But there's so many legitimate criticisms that people have that it's like, how do you acknowledge them and try to make the fans feel heard so that maybe season one is what it is. But when you come around to season two, you know, how do you incorporate some of those things and make people feel like, yes, you know, we, you get it. You're Mm -hmm. coming around. It's an ongoing problem. Like I don't have the answer. I I think like you said, it's going to be the dialogue that happens between the brands and the studios with the fandoms right now. It's very dismissive to that end. I think some fans are kind of rejecting some of the material that's coming out. They're just like, I don't like it. If there ends up being a little bit more of a dialogue or some way to actually garner input, I think fans will have a lot more respect because I don't think anyone expects, like you said, the studios to get it right every time. We don't, you know, we know they're going to get it wrong. And it's not that we can't accept that. It's that, you know, we want to try to get it right. It's kind of ironic because the two instances you pointed to, the Snyder Cut and Sonic the Hedgehog, both of which turned out to be very successful financially for the studios. Instead of just throwing money at the problem and hoping it goes away, spend a little more money up front. Make sure you have creators that are invested and understand the properties. Make sure you have done your due diligence and you have engaged your fan base and you can explain away changes. I think that's part of it. You can give them a reason that they'll buy that's consistent with this fandom culture. I think people would love it. And, and then they'll people support are ready. And yeah, spend I was going to say they're, 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 they're ready to spend money. That's exactly what I was going to say. I mean, people are excited for a Lord of the Rings product. Everybody's excited for there to be new Lord of the Rings. You know, everybody's ready to spend some money and be like, yeah, I'm so happy this is back. So that's that's it, I guess. That's the future. And that's where we'll see, you know, I think we'll have more dis- discussions on this podcast about fandoms and different movies and whether uh, productions get it right or get it wrong. That's, you know, the fun of podcasts. Yeah, I, I don't really want to be disparaging to anyone particularly because, yeah, I know people did work really hard on those. And so hopefully as time goes on, certain things are addressed. Maybe there's a dialogue that gets going. Maybe fandoms can find ways to have a little bit more input in some of these properties up front cool things like that who knows that does it for our discussion on this week's podcast so like i said this will probably come up many more times <laughs> who knows we'll get into it so do want to wrap up the show this week want to thank everybody for tuning in we want to thank everybody for tuning in so far every week uh the response has been great to relaunch of the show and i know cp and i are having a lot of fun coming up with some of the different topics and things because these are like we've said many times these are the things that you and i like i call you after the episode airs and i'm like yo did you 
watch it. These are the things we talk about. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah. So yeah. I watch these videos on YouTube. Like I like these discussions and it's fun to get a chance to be a part of it. So we really do appreciate you all tuning in. Thank you so much for the engagement on social media and keep the comments coming. I mean, it's a lot of fun getting to respond to you guys and see what your thoughts are on some of these movies and properties, shows, everything. As always, you can follow the show. You can just go to filmmakerscompass.com where it has the feed for all the episodes as well as all of our social media links. That's at Film Comp Podcast for almost every channel. And you can just yep. type Filmmakers Compass in and you'll find us. So you can follow me at Big, Big Kid D-Man and you can follow CP. At NDCal5. Yeah, be sure to uh, leave us a five-star review if you haven't already. That always helps, you know, just uh, the show rank a little bit higher. So if you guys have, I don't know, taken a dump or something and have a couple minutes <laughs> to spare, throw us a five-star review if you like the show. If you don't like the show, you can leave us a lower-star review and we'll try to address that criticism. You know, we'll, we'll have a dialogue with our <laughs> fandom. Thank you, everybody. Now, that does it for our show this week. So keep watching movies and we'll see you on the next episode.